Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. I want to start with uh, asking a question, and my intent in this question is for you to actually answer the question, okay? Um, so what are things that bring you joy? What are things that, in which you rejoice? Friends. What was that back there? Sleep. Family. Food. Coffee. God. Oh, he got brownie points. <laughs> New, baby. New babies, yeah. yeah. For those of you online, he said my wife. That's why he got brownie points. You can't hear that. Anybody else? Something you rejoice in? Grandkids. Jesus. Hunting. All right. Good health. A good pastor. Good luck on that one. Uh, what? <laughs> College football. <laughs> Singing angels. Singing angels. <laughs> yeah, good luck finding them. So, uh, and uh, I love that we can have joy in these kind of conversations and can rejoice. But one thing I did notice is that none of you said that you rejoice in suffering. <laughs> And yet that is our verse for today. As Paul says that he rejoices in his suffering. And so this could bring us to a little bit of a conundrum. Because we're like, what is this guy? Is he just kind of like sick in the head or something? Like, what is he talking about here? But I think when we really dig into it, I think we can get a lot from this and be really stretched even in our understanding of things. Even our understanding of what joy is. Even our understanding of what suffering is and the roles that it plays. But let's jump in and see what Paul says. We're in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. It says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So what's going on here? What is he saying? He's, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm actually rejoicing in my sufferings. Well, what, what are his sufferings at this point? Well, most likely at this point, we understand him to be in prison. He's, he's literally been imprisoned and locked up and had, you can read in other places where all the hardships that Paul went through uh, just for, for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. Because he was telling people about Jesus, all of this kind of bad stuff, these sufferings were happening to him. And yet Paul is in a place where he can say, I rejoice in these sufferings. So, so what do we, what do we what do we take from this? So we just say, man, this guy really needed psychiatric help. Like, he he needed a good doc, right? Like, or do we say, does maybe he have a perspective on things that maybe we don't have that we need to learn from him on these things? And I, I would propose that probably the the second is the better way to go. Um, and so we have Paul here as a prisoner writing to Christians in Colossae, and he's telling them that he's rejoicing in his suffering as a prisoner for their sake. We see this also, this kind of mentality throughout the, the, the apostles, especially um, in Acts chapter 
um, Acts chapter 5 and verses 41 and 42 It says this, it says, um, this was right after the apostles, they had been healing people and preaching the gospel about Jesus being raised from the dead. Um, This was right after the passage where it even says that just by Peter's shadow passing over someone, they were healed. Um, And so with this mighty work of the spirit going on, they've been hauled in and they've been interrogated by the leaders and questioned. and, And then it says this, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house of God, they did not cease from teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And so they didn't stop what they were doing. Instead, they were encouraged in it by the fact that they were, they're like, hey, Jesus suffered and died for us. And now we are counted worthy of suffering and hit for his sake and for what he's doing in the world. Um, And so with that, I think we can give a little bit more understanding the mindset that Paul's coming from here and what he's saying and how he's saying he's rejoicing in his sufferings, where he says, and we'll read the whole passage now together. She can kind of get the full context. says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so Paul here is saying, hey, yeah, I can rejoice in my sufferings because this is the mission. This is what God has given me to do. This is what is laid before me. This is the purpose of my life. And I see that being fulfilled and, and, oh yeah, part of that is I have to suffer along the way. And so if, if my suffering actually makes me more able to accomplish the mission that God has for me, then I rejoice in that. And then in that, I, I, can, I can rejoice because he, he perceives and he, he, he looks at his suffering through the lens of what God is doing. And how God is even using that suffering for good. And how he's even using that suffering for advancing the gospel and the kingdom. So we should see from this, and I'll go so far as to say it this way, that in biblical Christianity, it seems to me that suffering for the sake of Christ is one of the highest honors given to a Christ follower. This is something I feel like in maybe North American Christianity, we have a... a, kind of weak view of, really. Um, If we're honest, I think usually our main approach to suffering is that we pray that it ends. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Like, once again, we're not sick in the head. We're not seeking out suffering. But I think when we have a biblical understanding of suffering, we can see that, hey, maybe God's purposes aren't just for it to end. Maybe he's doing something else through it. 
Because I, I think if I were Paul in this situation, I would be rationalizing, hey, God, it would be a lot better for these people in, in Colossae if instead of me being in prison and writing them this letter, I could just go tell them this stuff and I could spend time with them and I could teach them all these things. And so God, I think this would be a lot better, God, like if you just got me out of prison. But Paul doesn't have that view. He views his circumstances and where he is and how he's imprisoned as all part of God's plan. And in that being a part of God's clan, it has a purpose. Um, a, a pastor who's written commentaries, um, a guy named John MacArthur, some of you know who he is, he's given four reasons for sufferings in the, the Christian's life. He actually gave five. I didn't like one of them, so I'm just going to give you four of them. Um, and, uh, and this is a, a pretty limited view, a pretty limited list relating to all of Scripture. Um, if you want a, a more extensive study on this, there's a book by Randy Alcorn called If God is Good. Um, I can't go through all of it today because it's about this big. So when you take the Bible that's this big and then you write a book about it that's this big, um, explaining what this says about just one topic, you can imagine that's a pretty in-depth topic, an in-depth study. So um, if this is a topic that really you want to dig deeper into, I recommend that book to you, Randy Alcorn's If God is Good. But anyway, for today, we'll take these four points. First, suffering, belie- uh, suffering brings believers closer to Christ. When you go through hard times in your life, when you go through hard things, that's going to draw you in closer to him. When everything else that you have to rely on and have your comfort in and whatever is stripped away and all you have left is Jesus, then you cling to him. Uh, Philippians 3 verse 10, it says this. It says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And Paul there is saying, hey, I get to know Jesus and get even closer to Jesus by suffering the way that he suffered, by going through things like he went through things. And so this, this is one of those things that it does, it flies in the face of our culture and, and, and what we naturally think, Right? But actually, we can see that, hey, yes, suffering does have a role. It has a purpose, and it brings us in closer to Christ. Second, suffering assures believers that they belong to Christ. In John 15, uh, Jesus says this. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And he goes on into a whole thing there. If you want to study that one more, go read the whole, whole chapter. Um, but, but Jesus there is saying, it's like, hey, if you're going to be with me, guess what? They don't like me. So they're not going to like you either get used to it. So we should take that and we can say, hey, uh, this lets me know that yes, I am in tune with him. But make sure that they don't like you because you're being like him, not because you're being a jerk. Okay. Just put that out there. Uh, Number three, suffering brings a future reward. Suffering brings a future reward. Second Corinthians 417 says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so light momentary affliction, whatever you're going through, light momentary affliction, at most, what, what can it last? 60, 70, 80 years, right? Momentary, but a breath compared to eternity, compared to forever with him, this is light. It's momentary compared to the goodness that we have in store with him with eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
So for the Christian, we know that suffering now is bringing future reward. It's, it's just a, a blip on the radar compared to what we have before us. Number four, suffering can result in the salvation of others. There's a famous quote um, that the blood of the martyrs is the, is, the, is the fuel of the church, is the seed of the church. And what that, that means is uh, throughout church history, we've seen as Christians were persecuted, as Christians suffered and died for the gospel, where all they had to say was, I recant, I, do, I say this is not true. But they went to their death saying, this is 100% true. I know Jesus, I know him to be my Lord and Savior, and there is no way that I can deny him. When they've had that fortitude, when Christians have stood with that resolve, the people that have watched that, the people who have seen that said, there's something to this, I need this in my life. And that's something that we can still see happen today, that as we go through hard times, if we go through hard times with the view of them of how is God using me in this time, how is God working in this time, if we have the peace of God on us, even in our suffering, that speaks volumes to those that are around us. If we even can go so far as in the middle of our suffering, we can rejoice, as Paul is saying here, that he is rejoicing That blows people's minds because that is not of this world. That is things of God. That is things that can only happen if God is working in and through us. So I want to challenge you, if if you're going through a tough time, if you're going through suffering in your life, maybe look for ways that you can rejoice even in your suffering. I'm not telling you it's wrong to pray that it ends. Please do. I'll pray with you. But equally, if God is answering that prayer with, no, it's, it's not ending yet, look for how he's at work in it. Look for the things that he's working in and through you in this situation with whatever it is. As I said, this really flies in the face of a lot of North American Christianity in general especially the, what you might call the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel or the um, name it and claim it. You just, just come to Jesus and everything's going to be rosy and perfect and you won't ever feel anything bad again in your life. That, I don't understand how people keep preaching that because it looks like after a week of people hearing that, they would measure up that like, hey, this, that didn't work, right? Like, I don't know, but anyway, that's just me. Let's go on. So Paul here, he also, this, this passage is another one where if we just take this passage and we read what it says, it, it can lead us to a lot of confusing things, a lot of confusing conclusions that kind of would seem contradictory to other places in scripture. Um, so what is so confusing about this? He says this, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, Wait, what? Lacking in Christ's afflictions? Do we really think that, that Paul is saying that by his suffering, he's somehow completing the task of salvation that Jesus set out to do on the cross? That somehow there was something lacking in what Jesus was doing on the cross where you've got to add to that through suffering in this life? That is actually a teaching that has been taught before. And so I'm not just making this stuff up, okay? 
Is, is that where, where, what he's saying there? Is that, that, man, Jesus did this much for Paul's salvation or for our salvation, but then Paul did this much on top of it. Or we can take Paul out of the equation. Are we saying, Jesus did this much to save me and then, well, I do the rest, right? Like, I'm pretty good. I've got a little bit of a bad over here, so he takes care of this little bit, but I, I'm, the, the rest of my resume is pretty good. Absolutely not. The only, thing, only way we have hope is in him doing all of it. Jesus doing all of it. And how can I, can I say that? Well, I say that because where Paul says this, it's right after he's just made this abundantly clear a few verses before. So back up to verse 20, it says this, And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus did it. He made peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body, past tense, done deal, not something that has to be added to, completed, or anything else. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Paul is saying here, what Jesus accomplishes fully accomplished. When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to us being forgiven and made right and able to stand before God, our only hope is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And the fact that he rose from the dead. The fact that we have faith and we believe in that. So if that, if that holds true, then what is Paul saying here when he's saying that he's filling up uh, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? The problem is, is when you stop the sentence right where I stopped the sentence. If you just keep reading, it makes it more clear. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that is given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He's saying here, is, hey, what is, is lacking is what Christ is still doing today. The way that Christ is still at work today. And Paul is saying that what I'm doing in my life is continuing to carry out and fulfill what Jesus is already doing and what his plan is. This is my purpose on my life. My purpose is to build up the church, the body of Christ. And so it's not that Jesus is inept or unable but Jesus chooses to use us just like he chooses to use Paul. And so through him, um, what Jesus is doing in the church is being accomplished. It's being filled up, as Paul says here. And, and so Paul is looking at his life and he's saying, hey, all of my life is into this mission, is into this purpose that God has given me. And I'm fulfilling that. And I'm seeing that fulfilled in my life. And even he sees his suffering as a part of this. So my point here is this. This applied to Paul and applies to us. To follow Christ is to long to serve him and his body with the gifts and abilities and calling that he has given us. This is actually one of um, the elders' objectives for next year for our church is we want to see our whole church better equipped and better um, enabled to use all of the gifts, talents, abilities that God has put in your life for building up the church. And not just for building up this church. When I say building up the church, I say change that to building up his kingdom. 
We want to see you using the things that he's put in your life. We want to see the calling that he's put on your life being lived out, being used. Because we want to, we want to see that for you. We think that's what's best for you. Um, because that's what, what scripture teaches. God gives us these things so that we can use them for him and for his glory and for his kingdom. And bringing all praise and honor to him. Passage goes on in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. This is what Paul is proclaiming is this mystery. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The mystery for all ages past that blows people's minds is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The creator of the universe dwelling within us. What a mighty, mighty, magnificent mystery. How that works. It's a mystery that when it's being lived out, lives itself out in ways such as being able to rejoice in suffering. It's a mystery to those who do not have it. It's something that blows the mind. He says here, this is something that's been revealed to the saints. Who are the saints? Those are those who have received the hope of glory. Those who who have the hope of Jesus that have placed their faith in him as their Lord and Savior and said, yes, I, I believe in what you did on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. Please come and be my Lord and Savior. Those are the saints. And then he goes on here, though, and and because that's kind of just one group of people, right? And we, we can fall victim of just saying, well, we just need to worry as the church about that group and taking care of that group or whatever and just preaching to that group. Um, but equally, he says here in verse 28, him we proclaim warning who? Everyone. And teaching who? Everyone. With all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I think Paul knows that only a certain group are going to come to faith, those that he refers to here as saints. But what he's saying here is, hey, who do we present the gospel to? Everyone. Why? Because we don't know who's going to accept it. We put it out there for everyone. We want every person, man, woman, and child, to hear this message and get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And this is another thing that the, the elders are hoping to see over the next year is we would love to see, we've lo- we, we're loving seeing how our church is growing right now. It's such a blessing, so encouraging to me as a pastor. Not that it's about numbers, but it's a lot more encouraging to preach to a room with people in it than a room without people in it, okay? Uh, I can tell you that definitively uh, from when we had to preach to the camera during COVID, like not fun, all right? Much rather preaching, seeing your face. Um, but, uh, one of the things we would love to see over the next year is we would love to see more and more people who are coming to faith to start with. Our church has grown a lot and we welcome all of you that kind of are Christians that were, have been looking for your place and where you fit and, and we're so glad God's brought you here. But we, we're praying that the Lord will bless us with getting to see 
many, many people who are coming to faith and being baptized here at Potter's House. Because we want to see inroads being happening for the kingdom's sake, where the kingdom's growing, not just our church group is growing. And so our, our prayer is that we're praying, Lord, over the next year, please do this. This is something only he can do. But we want to do our part in it, like Paul is saying here, doing his part in it of proclaiming that gospel um, to those who need to hear it. Paul's goal here is everyone, okay? Uh, Our challenge for you isn't quite that lofty, okay? Um, You don't have to go get everyone in the next year. But what if every one of us led one person to the Lord? Prayed for one person, shared the gospel with one person over the next year. Talk about kingdom growth. I mean, if you double every year, that's doable. That's realistic, right? So we're not laying out a plan where we're going to go knock on every door in town and try to share the gospel. If that's where God leads you, go for it. Um, Some of us are gifted that way. Some of us are not. But I think all of us can say, hey, I know that there's this one person in my life that they, I, I know they need the gospel. And I'm going to commit to pray for them and look for opportunities to share it with them over the next year. If we can make that commitment as a church, I think God's going to bless that. And I think he's going to do some great things through that. Because the message of the gospel is a message that should be shared with everyone. Everyone needs it. Verse 29, Paul says this, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That points us back to how is this going to happen? Paul's not saying, for this I toil with everything I have. Paul's not saying, for this I toil with everything I have from my sleep or caffeine intake. No, he says, for this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul sees that, hey, my my ability to do any of this is completely reliant on him working in and through me. And I want to challenge you, Christian, do you have that view in your life? That, hey, anything good that comes from me, that's him. That's him working in and through me. And that's powerful when you understand that. Because what, this all, what all this doesn't mean is that all of us need to become full-time missionaries like Paul. What this doesn't mean is that all of us have to go to prison in order to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. What this doesn't mean is I do not want all of you to become pastors. Maybe a few of you, but not all of you. Because I think what it's going to take for this message to get to everyone is God working in each of us in our daily lives. I think we will do far better at reaching our community through a church full of teachers medical professionals, truck drivers, mill workers. Um, What else we got in here? Retired people. Man, you guys got all the time. You can do this all day long. (laughs) Right? 
locksmiths, mechanics. You're out there in the community. You're out there interacting with people. And you can take this message, the good news of Jesus Christ, and you can relate it to them on their level. You will be able to speak into people's lives who will not listen to me for a moment. But because they work side by side with you, because they know you, because they see the power of Christ alive in your life, they'll listen to you. So I encourage you, don't take that for granted. And don't sell yourself short. The enemy will want to tell you, oh, well, you don't know the answers. You don't know how to say this. Or what if they ask that? Don't give him that. You can always say, I don't know, but I'll find out. And that's what I'm here for. You ask me and I say, I don't know, I'll find out. And then I'll let you know once I find out. (laughs) Because this message is that important. We want to warn everyone, teach everyone. Jesus gives us meaning and purpose. And we should rejoice in whatever is necessary to accomplish that purpose. To kind of take us back full circle. Who is there in your mind, as I talked about that, you said, yeah, I know this person. They need the gospel in their life. What are you willing to suffer and to endure in order to give that to them? That's Paul's point in this message. He's like, if you get the gospel in your life, if you get all these good things, you have the mist, this great mystery of Christ in you, you have the hope of glory, then yeah, my suffering, I can rejoice in that if it helps you. If it helps you get to that place. And so I'll be honest with you. I had to rewrite uh, this last point here. Because at first I wrote it and I just said, we rejoice in whatever is necessary to accomplish that person purpose. But I think the honest, more honest answer is we should rejoice in whatever is necessary to accomplish that purpose. Because that's a challenge for us. It doesn't come naturally. But yeah, when we suffer, when we go through hard times, we don't like it. We're not some kind of sick in the head people that are just looking to go through hard things. And we don't think that whatever those hard things are somehow make us more saved. But if whatever those hard things are are being used by him to pull other people in and point them to the truth and the hope of the gospel for all of eternity where they too can have the hope of glory, then we can rejoice in that. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Jesus, as we sang earlier, you are worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of the praise. You're worthy of the glory. You're worthy in every way. You're so worthy. We thank you for that, God. We thank you that Jesus is worthy. Lord, I pray that you will... Help us to take this message to everyone. Whether that's everyone here in West Kelowna, Kelowna, Peachland, the Okanagan, BC, Canada, the world. 
Lord, I pray that everyone will hear this message and have the opportunity to respond to it. That they will know of the good things that you have done in Jesus and that they will turn and give their lives to you. Lord, I pray for those that already came to people's minds in the room who are like, yeah, that, I know that person needs the gospel. I know that they need this message in their life. Lord, I pray that you start working on that person already. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you start drawing them in. I pray that you give each of us that know you the just courage and faithfulness to let your power work through us to have those conversations with them, to share your truth with them, to speak into their lives. And let them know that, no, we're not perfect, but we know the one who is. Let us give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor, because for that, you are worthy. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day.